Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A digital conversation exploring the leadership experience. You can listen to it at timwinter.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? Podcast exploring the leadership experience. Uh, it's a Sunday morning and uh, had an unbelievable weekend. And I'm really, really excited about this guest. Um, we go way, way back to our days at Hollywood. Uh, Rick Mullenix is the chief marketing strategist for ID4 and really a marketing guru and um, interesting marketing because he's also on the analytical side and really understands the customer. And uh, I consider him a close friend and uh, we worked together uh, in our Hollywood days and just uh, really, really appreciate him as a person. And uh, welcome to the show, Rick. Oh, thank you, Tim, for having me. It's what have you been to up be to? Here. What have you been doing? You're living down there in Houston. Yeah, I'm talking to you uh, <laughs> this Sunday morning from North Houston on Lake Conroe, where I live. And I've been in Houston, I guess now, left Portland, Oregon, and, and been here for over 20 years. Wow. Married to my wife of 30 years. Uh, you know, that sounded, Tim, <laughs> like I'm married to a 30-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna. <laughs> I I thought it sounded like Garrison Keillor down here on Lake Wobegon. <laughs> well, I, I should have said married uh, for thirty years, but yeah. look, I'm gonna recover here. She she has the beauty and spirit of a thirty year old. Oh my God! But, See, uh, <laughs> that's why you've been married thirty years. <laughs> uh, but we raised two kids: a daughter who got married recently and is crushing it in San Antonio, and a son. Uh, who's in his final year of college. Wow. Congratulations. That's, that's, you know what? That's success. It, it sure is. And, you know, um, professionally, as you know, Tim, uh, it took me a bit of time to recover from that risky business venture in the 2000s of <laughs> refurbishing and selling all of those Hollywood video TVs after the store closures. <laughs> Yeah, twenty. I think we had the world record for the most twenty-seven inch tube TVs. Yeah, I, I uh, that business venture. I did not see the flat screen revolution coming. <laughs> Thank, thanks a lot, to Costco and LG. I guess you were buying them cheap, weren't you? <laughs> no, but uh, but seriously, after 20 years running a successful consulting business, actually, here's some breaking news. Um, in January, I joined a company called uh, The Wrench Group full time. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's kind of new stuff. It's um, it's a privately backed uh, roll up of um, home service companies. You can kind of think HVAC, electrical, plumbing, serving homeowners. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Collectively. Let's see, the portfolio generates like a billion dollars. And anyway, I, I get to work with a guy named Ken Haynes, uh, who's the CEO, who's really a leader and visionary. He's the best in that business and, and a brilliant um, chief marketing officer, Megan McNally. Well, that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting business and, and that rolling up of those because weren't, 
basically home services, primarily, re, you know, regional and, and kind of, for lack of a better word, mom and pop. And there were a couple breakouts, but they would get to a certain size and really growth was hard. And so rolling them up and, and having some, you know, whether it's private equity or however it's backed um, and consolidating and bringing them together to give them the support. Is, is that kind of so that they can grow and in the portfolio can grow of companies? I, I'm assuming your portfolio has um, several brands. Yeah, let's see. You know, I think it's, it's 26 brands and usually, you know, the strategy uh, for inch group has been to go after the dominant uh, brands. Um, okay. The ones that have really scaled, you know, um, you know, annually doing, you know, 30, 30 million and, and plus and we've got, you know, hundred million dollar, um, local brands, uh, there, but, um, yeah, um, it's, it's been, it's a, it's a, it's a, a lucrative business when you can scale it like that. But you know, you know, what's interesting is just the, the roll-up strategy and, and Ken strategy in particular, he, he takes a very decentralized approach to, to managing the portfolio. Mm. Um, and you know, when he's looking for an acquisition candidate, it's of course has a lot to do with, you know, P and L performance, um, and, uh, and EBITDA and all of those things, but high on the, high on the, uh, criteria list is, is culture fit. Um, that is, that is looked at, uh, almost second to the financials. And so, um, it's, it's great to get that to be such a big part of the evaluation. And as we, bring on um these these really you know big operators in the local market we, the the thing that immediately ties the portfolio together is is same philosophy mm -hmm. uh, in terms of of culture and approach to business so does it give the owner of the when when you guys acquire them does it give the owner do do, do they stay on to continue to run their organization but they just have you know they they finally get to realize some um, some cash out of their business and then they, they still run it. Or do you guys put in new, do owners want to sell it and move on? Yeah. You know, uh, uh it, most, most of the times the owners stay on because <clears throat> that culture evaluation, uh, is, is such a big part of it that to keep the continuity in place of what is, has been built, um, you know, you, you've got leadership, in place that, yep. that has developed that. And, um, and then Ken's created kind of a parent company culture where, you know, to your point, everybody's those owner operators, leaders, and, and many times, you know, started, started the business, you know, 20, 20, 30 years ago in some, some instances. Um, yes. Uh, are able to keep that intact and are able to integrate into, uh, into something you get all the benefit of, you know, the capital that private equity can yeah. uh, provide to support. Wow. That's, and, and that's great. I, I mean, and it always warms my heart, you know, it, it, very similar to the strategy that Hollywood used. If we're going to, you know, go down memory lane. I mean, we had <laughs> targets of, and we did look for cultural. I, I think the number one was we were looking for chains that had stores, you know, revenue north of 800,000. Um, and, you know, there were only a few. And we we pretty much targeted those and acquired them all, which was the early, as you know, the early growth of uh, of Hollywood. And then it um, which which got us to a base. I mean, our first acquisition was uh, was H.E.B. Yep, that's right. That's well, video, I, video Central, right? That's right. That's how I came came into uh, 
into the Hollywood system was through that acquisition. And um, were yeah, you working you know, for? Were you working for? I don't remember. So were you working for Video Central? Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was. I was working uh, for Video Video Central, and um, you know, we were. I think uh, Hollywood Video at the time was around, you know, a little over the twenty store mark, and we had thirty three. So it was a little bit of a David and Goliath, yep, acquisition. But um, and you know, <laughs> we were we were all running around, either in our late twenties or early thirties, uh, doing doing that. And and you know, we got. I came on board, and it was immediately involved in integrating other companies that yep. were being acquired. And uh, you know. One of the things that I learned uh, at a very, you know, uh, early stage of my career that uh, the deal is one thing, but uh, what makes or breaks um, profitability is is the degree of um, thought that goes around the integration. Oh, you you blow the integration, yep, and uh, it, it just takes so long to to claw, claw back to the the benefits that. Uh, you were hoping to realize through that acquisition. Probably the most famous one is uh, AOL buying Time Warner. I mean, that was just, you know, water and oil. I mean, AOL yep. was a spunky tech, you know, and people wore, you know, T-shirts and Dockers and Time Warner was blue wool suits. <laughs> right. And, and it was just, they they just had no that was a horrible acquisition, and and I, I I just read a thing on it in the Harvard Business Review. It's 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 really a case study now of how to botch an acquisition of what you thought was going to be a great marriage of two media companies, and it just was it was just horrible. Yeah, it always it always comes back to you know acquisitions of company companies or acquisitions of people and culture right so yes um you know that's a it's a big part of the calculus to to doing to doing a deal and um you know i, I know you know you talk a lot about culture and and uh, the experience at work on on uh, on your podcast in the past episodes i'm a big big listener uh, oh, i appreciate yeah. that and um yeah I, in fact you know for for wrench um you know people be able to say well how's how's that going and you know what's you're a strategist and you know, what's the outlook? But right now we're, we're dealing with a supply chain issue and it isn't at all equipment related. It's, it's finding good qualified, you know, frontline workers and trade technicians. It's uh, you're, you're like, it's, it's, it's like not having enough new releases on the shelf. To rent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, yes, the, the workforce is uh, in finding and, and yours is interesting because they really are, these are skilled workers. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm I, sure some are laborers, but there are certainly skilled workers in that space that, you know, probably there's some certifications or requirements that are necessary. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but you know, at the same time, it's a, it's enormous, enormous uh, competitive advantage if you can, can figure it out. I mean, we're we're doing all the things that you would you would think. We're looking at compensation structures. We've got our own trade schools, our own trade schools in pilot. But but you know uh, the competitors are doing that too. So so we're getting to a place uh, where you know we're, we're, we we think the most important swing issue there is is culture and 
and the experience at work. I mean, let me ask um, you this. Let me ask you this. Just to tie that back. I'll prove your point. What's the one company you never, ever hear about needing people? Or or, just, I'll tell you, I'm not going to make you guess. Costco. Oh, that's the one I was going to say, Tim. Yeah, Costco. 100%. their stores are full. They look like they're in retail. Retail supposedly dead. Retail's this, retail's that. Re- you can't find good retail people. Uh, somehow they do. And, you know, their stores are full. Their shelves are stocked. Their people are good. I, I-, I don't know. I-, I-, I People seem happy there. I had a, uh, a really interesting experience where I bought something online from them and I was having a very difficult time. Uh, getting some warranty work done. And I finally got so frustrated, I went to the store where I did not buy it. And the store manager spent an hour with me on their back-end phone number getting to customer service to get the issue resolved. And he he had no dog in the fight. He, he didn't <laughs> sell me there, but Costco did. And he took that ownership and he's like, no, sir, I represent Costco, whether you bought it online, you didn't buy it from my store. It really doesn't matter. I want to get this taken care of for you. And it was just a flaw in their, in their software and on their website that was looping me back to where I started and it wouldn't let me get to the place. And, um, you know, they, he fixed it and you just don't find that. And, you know, they, they don't seem to be having the same problems that everybody else. So I, and I, and it is in large part because of their culture. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, you know, I, I put, uh, uh, the guy that, that, uh, founded it and ran it for 35 years and, you know, on my Mount Rushmore of, of leaders that I, that I admire, um, you know, Jim, uh, Senegal, if I don't butcher it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he founded it, uh, 35 years ago with partner. I think he was, a, a board or board director, uh, till 2018. But anyway, during that time, I think he took like 350 K in salary, which, which at the time was a third of what other CEOs made. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, he instilled a culture of treating employees well and, and things are going to work out. Things will be profitable. You know, he understood that culture is going to help you during the peaks and valleys of business cycles. Well, and and he knew his business inside and out. I, I, I saw a thing on 60 Minutes with him and he would walk into a store and he would ask questions like, and the store managers needed to know because he knew. He was like, I think that thing's on sale. Isn't that, isn't that, you know, he just, he knew, he knew this, he just knew his business. And uh, not in a punitive way, but in a way to help the store be better and to help everybody grow. I also, there's that famous story. He was on a call with the, with the analysts and, uh, you know, one of the analysts said, oh, you know, we did a, we analyzed your payroll. And if you were to just pay minimum wage, you could uh, increase profitability by, and, and he bravely on the phone said, we, have you ever been in a Costco? <laughs> You you really don't understand my business. You should sell all my stock tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> I get, like I love that courage, right? Like yeah, that's when you're so committed to it, and you're in 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 culture isn't a slogan on the wall. It is truly in your DNA, and it is truly 
part of the recipe of your success. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he, under, by the way, he probably did that call wearing Kirkland branded clothes. I, I heard that's, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think they, they covered 90% nine or, and may still do healthcare costs, but look, he, he looks at it from a turnover perspective, sure. um, lower turnover is, is where he picks, picks that up. But yeah, well, everything, he also, he also has like, I was never, you know, I was so angry about this warranty thing and this one store manager at the Troutdale Costco in Oregon fixed the problem. And he had no reason to because it was an online purchase, but he's that committed. You can't buy that. No, you, you, no. You, and you can't, you can't mandate that. Yep. You can't do that with edicts. You do that through that human connection and people feeling goes back to what Gallup says all the time. Do I feel valued and appreciated? Do I have the tools to do my job? And am I empowered? Exactly. And he had exactly. all of those things. He was empowered well, to make to make it right for me. You know, to just bring it back to Wrench Group. You know, somebody said we were we were talking about you know this this issue um, resourcing issue, and and somebody said, well, you know, I think it's if we talk culture. It's more than an inspirational break room poster. <laughs> right. <laughs> and 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 that person was right. I mean, and, and we distilled it down to some stuff here, you know, recognition of a job well done. You know, if that technician was helping a family of four till eleven PM, you know, keeping them cool so they could sleep well overnight, go to school the next morning, uh, you know, recognize that. But um the, they also, the frontline folks want a voice in the problem and the solution. Mm -hmm. um, they, they want flexibility. If son or daughter has a soccer tournament, um, you know, what can be done to, to work through that? Um, you know, look, these things <laughs> cost nothing right? and they make a huge difference. Yeah. It's, 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 well, you know, if you, if, and it's probably not a great example today, but I will use it uh, with the caveat that when Herb Keller was around uh, at Southwest Airlines, you know, he, he used to say it's so simple. I, I just don't know why other people don't get it. They also, Herb was famous for saying, you know, you don't define freedom by letting people wear khakis on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I have a funny story about that. It was my absolutely one of my favorite things in the world. When I was working at School of Rock, School of Rock, when I first got there, they had been bought by private equity. It was slowly but surely being homogenized and kind of becoming corporate. And uh, we had a few employees who wouldn't even come to the office because they said it you know, made them feel uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, we had office space in Teaneck up at that, uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey at the uh, Marriott Conference Center and office space there. And um, somebody had sent out an email that said, let's do rock concert t-shirt Friday. And my director of operations <laughs> about blew a gasket. Now he was a musician. He'd been with School of Rock for a long time. He goes, every day is rock concert t-shirt day at School of Rock. Right. <laughs> every day. Know your environment. 
<laughs> but but again, right? So somebody comes in, they got their checklist, they got, oh, let's do this. We're gonna bring cupcakes in on, and it just does ah, uh, that's not culture. Yeah, no, I mean, um, yeah, I, you know, it's not, it's not culture. And um I I think um the connective tissue is is culture and and also leadership yep. as well. Uh, that's it. And you've said this many a time on uh, past episodes, you know, people, people work for people. Um, and, uh, and, you know, look, it's, it's more challenging than ever to be a leader or manager in a company today. Um, le- leaders in the past did not have to deal with the enormous rate of distractions <laughs> that right. employees face today. And I mean, the work environment has changed dramatically with communication technology, you know, email, text, Slack channels, Zoom, Teams. Um, social media. Social media. People feel um, very confident and comfortable to, you know, voice an opinion on Instagram or wherever. And it, it's just, it is. You're so right. It's just different. Has that changed your philosophy on leadership? If you go back through your career or do you have some basic principles that you just believe in? Well, I think there's some things to attack and to monitor and, and to be vigilant about. Um, I, I call it kind of, you know, the obligation to respond, you know, that has changed so much over the years. And I mean, let's, let's take an example. <laughs> Uh, when, when Max Fratto paged Tim Winter and you were in the middle of a store visit, right. And and it was a non emergency. When did he kind of expect that you would get back to him? Non-emergency. Oh, when I was done with the store visit. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. You were able to remain in the moment of that store visit and, you know, you get back in the car, maybe go find the payphone somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, exactly. That was the expectation. And you were able to stay in the moment and focused on, on what you're doing. Now, you know, look at it. Tim Winter has a mobile phone in his hand and he gets a text. You know, we're so used to now getting that text and responding and breaking, you know, breaking up the moment. So, uh, that's just that's why when I was I never carried my phone into a store. I used to get criticized for it all the time. I said, I, "Look, I'm going to have lots of dashboard time. I, I'm not going to carry my phone into the store because it, it's inevitably going to ring, or there's going to be a message, or there's going to be something, and I don't know when I'm going to get back to that store to be able to spend time with those people. So any distraction, it, it's the same. I feel the same way when you go into a store. And they're on the phone helping somebody on the phone. All they're saying to you is the person on the phone is more important than you. And that's right. Right. But I'm here with my money. And, you know, I, and I get it. I mean, I, I, I totally understand it, but I do believe there's a way to handle that. And I think of the person calling in, certainly they need service and they certainly need to be, but that person standing in front of you, you, you know, you only get that one time. And I just didn't carry my phone in. Um, it, but to your point, and it's 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 spot on. I felt comfortable not carrying my phone because of that foundation that Max Fratto had established. Well, that's that's and the that's leadership. culture. 
Yeah, and, <laughs> and exactly. leadership. And that's the leadership tieback. So look, on one hand, it's been great what technology has done to speed up communication cycles. We we love the advantage of that. But on the other, I think, you know, we as leaders, we have to be really vigilant in monitoring, you know, our teams to make sure they don't get into kind of what I call a priority imbalance. Like we're answering an email and text become the job. <laughs> right. Because I think that can happen where that just responding to communication becomes the job. I mean, we need, you know, we need their talent and, you know, cognitive firepower to solve problems and find ways to beat the competition or squeeze more margin out of a deal. You know, that's, that's where the value is. So uh, it's a challenge. Yeah. I, I was going to, um, at Shadowbox Farms, uh, when I was the, the, uh, president of, at, at that company, I was going to, stop all internal emails we were a small enough it used to drive me crazy somebody who sat you know 10 feet away from me would send me an email and i'm like just ask me just go like <laughs> don't give me an email to answer just like external emails fine i understand that but internally i think so much more is it can be i think i just think people hide behind it sometimes and uh, you know, now it's hard because we're all remote and the world has changed. I, I get that. But I think that when you can have that human interaction, um, it's just so much more meaningful. And I think, I, I do think problems get solved faster. Yeah. yeah. I think it could be 10 emails to one conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so, so too. And, and, um, and, and, you know, the other, the other piece is, is, you know, this work from home, um, thing is, is, uh, you know, that's, it, it was such an, ex the, 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 um, pandemic was such an accelerant to that. You know, I, re I remember pre pandemic, you know, zoom was just starting to get out there. We had clients that were, you know, integrating zoom and mm -hmm. it was this kind of funny thing where, you know, everybody get in a conference room and there's this strange orb on the conference table. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, you know, the camera showed about two thirds of the group and, you know, people were, anyway. Some uh, were really elaborate too. They would like follow your, whoever was speaking, the camera would, would follow the voice. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of a weird experience to begin with, but then, you know, pandemic hit. And, uh, and I remember we were, we, we, we had fully implemented Microsoft teams, but we figured it out real fast and, and um, I mean, just amazingly fast and we're able to keep on. Um, but now, you know, now we're on the other side of that and um, yeah, uh, there's going to be a pendulum swing, you know, I think for it, I don't know where it all shakes out. I think it probably shakes out in some kind of hybrid, yeah, you know, way ultimately. Yeah. Because the benefits are, look, you've, you've widened your net of talent because people can work anywhere. You're not just looking for people in Portland, Oregon. And I think Americans are, are American culture will move more than any other uh, country or culture. <clears throat> I, I don't know exactly what the statistic is, but like people in Canada do not move. If, if you live in Vancouver, you are not going to move to Toronto for a job. They just don't do it. But Americans, we move all the time. And I think that's changing. 
I think people are getting comfortable where they are. And I think that people aren't wanting to move as much as they used to. And so, you know, I see the pros and cons of both. I think that I, I, my personal is I like the the hybrid. I think it's good to be in the office a few days a week. And then I, I think it's good to, to be able to be heads down and work in your home office if you have the discipline to do that. And with all the tools that we have today, it, it seems to be working well. But I, I actually miss the office. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think there's, there's studies that say, I, I saw a study the other day that, uh, you know, looked at um, – different things around um, the confines of a, of a laptop screen and what, you know, what can be done and, and not done there. But anyway, I think, you know, just to kind of synthesize it, uh, um, the study actually said that there's less, if, if you're doing creative ideation uh, where you're, you know, that there was much more creative thought developed in a room with people and the physical stimuli than, than what was done on on a Zoom call or a Teams call, yeah. And, oh, I, I, and but there were also, uh, I think there was a prioritization exercise they did on both, and there was no change. So, just you know, we're all going to have to kind of understand and and figure that out. I I think the other thing too, Tim, is where you're at in your, you know, uh, I was going to say life stage, but career stage. Um, well, you know, it's, it's worked for me. I'm able to do what I do. Um, I mean, it's, it's been fantastic for me, but you know, my son who is entering his final year at Texas A&M and he's already got John lined up with PricewaterhouseCoopers, but, and so kind of thinking about, you know, how to give him advice as, as he enters into this next stage. And, you know, I tell him, look, um, where you're at, be present as much as possible. Um, you know, it's, it's the physical workplace where he's going to make contacts, build business relationships, find a mentor that, you know, could catapult his career. I mean, a lot of us find our soulmates at work as well. Well, uh, (laughs) no, (laughs) no truer words have been said, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I've been married to Misty for 20 years and we met at Hollywood Video and um, she worked in the zone and um, I don't think people gave us a chance in hell. Um, and here 20 years later, we're still married and uh, with our family and, and off we're going. And if I take it even, you know, go expand on that a little bit more, you know, I also met my best friend at work. And um, that's you know, right. That's that, right. And which ended up becoming a lifelong friendship, and um, uh, and, and the and the, the catalysts are the spark for this uh, for this podcast and for this conversation today. That's so, right. Rick and Tim wouldn't be, you know, <laughs> right. uh, on a on a Sunday morning, uh, May twenty first, if if we didn't have that time together. Uh, yeah, but you yeah. know what I you know what I remembered too. This is <clears> funny. I I, I remembered this. You worked for me for about, I don't know, it's like three hours. No. <laughs> I remember yeah. and I then got I so asked excited to, and I, then you quit. I wanted to then I wanted to work in the warehouse and put <laughs> stickers on DVDs. I forgot all about that. I was I <laughs> you were in the marketing department. I think I'd been promoted to COO and it's like, well, what are we gonna do? And 
you know, the Beverly Hill hillbillies had taken over the company and um, Rick was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Tim, it's funny. Uh, back, you know, so that was that second tour, which is, yeah. I think, been 20 years ago, which is crazy. But, you know, you did something back then that I wanted to I've always wanted to ask you about, and I think there's a big, good place to do it, but sure. uh, you were running, running that business and, and you, you had a lot of responsibility and, and the, and you couldn't do the one thing that I know that you like doing the most, which was being out in stores. And I remember you uh, used this consulting guy, Sacco <laughs> <laughs> uh, management. Uh, and you, and you, and you sent this guy out to go, visit stores, do audits and, and, you know, and pretty comprehensive reports. But anyway, that was, that was Dave. You did that. Yeah. And, and I always wanted to ask you about that. How did that come about? It, Cause I thought it was brilliant. Cause I know, you know, I knew who you were sending out there. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I've said it a million times on this podcast. I've said it a million times. I mean, Dave and I were, we were as much business uh, and colleagues, uh, as we were just friends and Dave had left Hollywood and, um, you know, I was part of when movie gallery acquired Hollywood and, uh, I had some fans who were, you know, promoting me through the acquisition and, um, Joe Malusian liked me and, uh, they, they wanted me to take a bigger role in the company. I, I, you know, again, I remember Ed Hahn had called me one time and he said, do uh, you think you're, you think you're being successful? I said, you know, Ed, it's, it's very, um, it's very complex. There's a lot of moving pieces and there's a lot of politics because we're dealing with an acquisition that was not handled well to our previous, you know, conversation. Um, but no, I don't think I'm being successful, but I think that I'm holding it together. And I think if I wouldn't have been there uh, with my history with the company and at the time, I think it would have been probably very different. So was I successful? Uh, no, uh, you know, it wasn't being run like a normal company. Um, it wasn't being at that time after the acquisition. Uh, the movie gallery had a very... Uh, different approach to business. It was um, somewhat incestuous and, um, you know, they didn't honor swim lanes or they didn't really honor. I mean, they just, they kind of ran by their company by committee. And uh, that's what ended up happening with Hollywood. And it kind of was, you know, whoever got Joe's ear at, it was kind of the direction the company went, which was always kind of very odd. Um, because I do think in the Hollywood days, I think Mark uh, respected swim lanes and I think Mark empowered people to do their jobs. And, and that is how Hollywood grew. But to your original question, I mean, Dave was my friend. I was in a hell of a spot and um, I thought, who better? Who, I mean, who better? Who, who better? And Dave and I were aligned and it really came down to alignment. Right. And, and there's lots of companies it that do shoppers, have. right? There's yeah. lots of companies to do shoppers, but I knew if I sent Dave or gave him a list of stores and he would go out because he was traveling anyway. And he would give me a, a, a written report on what was right, what was wrong. Um, 
make recommendations. And, and really it wasn't, I, you know, I appreciate it. I don't think it was brilliant. It was, um, and if I, if I remember back at that, it was kind of a Hail Mary and on my part and, um, well, yeah, you know, and, but and I, I love that and I needed you, to keep the business. So, and I, I, I really was aligned with Dave. And, right. That's where I was going to go back to is, is you knew you could send somebody out there that, um, you were aligned to, but also did it the right way. Yep. Um, you know, it's funny, I, you know, um, Plus, I think you, you, Dave needed the money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's, <laughs> that's that's when you distill it down to yes. Well, you know, it's it's funny. Um, it, you know, memory I had. You've asked past Wait. guests about you know their Dave Dave memory and oh, yeah. uh, uh, kind of cross this. Yeah, we were. Uh, Dave was still needing money, um, and he and I uh, had a consulting business together for a little bit. Uh, it was called RxG. Uh, it stood for Retail Expansion Group. Uh, but anyway, uh, we got a meeting with the head of operations of the Snowbird Ski Resort there, in, outside of Salt Lake, uh, to pitch a loyalty program idea. Right. Um, anyway, we we both decided to spend the night, you know, this was classic Dave, right? Yep. Both decided to spend the night at the resort to kind of like immerse ourselves in the type of experience they were delivering to see where the opportunities were for loyalty points tracking and, you know, that kind of thing. And so we get up there to the resort and we're really focused on customer experience delivery and, and operations. And, you know, at all the touch point, I mean, we would, we walked, the property, talked to the shop managers, ate at the restaurants. And, and the whole time I was kind of looking at it from a marketing lens and, and Dave was in his zone. Right. Mm -hmm. And he, he would give me a complete breakdown of what was possible from a, from a customer service and retail store standpoint. I mean, Tim, it was a master class in operations, customer experience and culture assessment scorecarding. Uh, and you know, he can thank you for that. But uh, he he would, of course, you know, this was the funny part. He'd want to engage directly with the with the folks. Oh yeah. But but I had to remind him, hey, we're 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 here for loyalty. We're not running going to run. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but anyway, the classic part of the memory from the trip was, you know, we we spent the night there. Um, we agreed to meet at the guest services lobby, you know, we're check-in and all that is next morning. And Tim, I, I walk down and I see Dave in this intense conversation with a front desk supervisor. And I mean, like eyes locked both in the moment. And for a moment, I thought this is not good. There, his iron didn't work in his oh. room. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, traveling with Dave was a mortal sin. Absolutely. Uh, if if that iron didn't work, then it wasn't going to go well because Dave would put that iron to use. Uh, he always had the Christmas shirts of any guy I ever traveled with. He's oh, he's always, the best dressed man in America. Well, yeah, you know, him and John Scales. Yeah, exactly. But it, but it wasn't the iron. Uh, that that wasn't the problem. It, there really was wasn't a problem at all. I, I I think you know all of those observations and opportunities 
to, to improve the experience, we're all pent up inside of him and he needed to release. <laughs> and I think the guy's name was Lee or something. I don't know. Uh, so he got, he got his master class, and, and yet, you know, here's this guy, there's no reporting relationship whatsoever, but he's intent on, on hearing what Dave has to say. Oh, you know, Hey, I had an experience with Dave when we were in uh, Dallas and we were going out for dinner, just him and I, after this, um, I think it was a business review. I don't really remember <clears throat> why we, what brought us to Dallas, but it was Hollywood days. And uh, Dave started coaching the, the cab driver. And this is, you know, pre-Uber. So Dave started coaching the, the cab driver on how he could improve his business. <laughs> and the guy was taking it all in. In fact, to the point the guy gave us his phone number and said, just call me. Don't, 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 you know, don't call the cab company. Just call me and I'll come get you. And we spent the whole night with that guy. He's taking us. We went to dinner. Then he came in. So funny. The last uh, bar that we were at, he shows up and he has his girlfriend in the front seat. And she is does not think Dave and I are funny. <laughs> he was late to pick her up. And then he had to come back and get us. But he appreciated. And Dave was giving him, you know, as far as his the cleanliness of his cab and yeah. ways that he could uh, improve his tips. And it was just, it was hysterical. Um, but he just loved to engage people like that. And, and he had an eye uh, for business <clears throat> and he, and he had a way of approaching it and he was always managing, you know, he was, he was always leading. He was always wanted to help people. It was just, um, it was in his DNA. It, it, you know, Exactly, and he you know, he had a style and approach that lifted you up while while he was doing that. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was covering you know really raw business, you know, or business things to tackle. Yeah, but he, but his style lifted you. Know, you know, back to you know Lee. I, I remember, you know, so so they're they're locked, and and I walk up, and you know we've got to get to our meeting, and. And the guy, you know, genuinely effusively says, you know, thank you, Mr. Sacco. And we're headed off. And and Dave turns and looks at the guy and he says, Hey Lee, you're making a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, and Lee Lee was walking on the cloud the rest of the day. But you know, and that you're making a difference. We we use that continued on, Tim, in text back and forth. Uh mm. Uh, I, you know, if I would, you know, send him a text and say, I can't believe how exp expensive weddings are these days, he would, you know, he'd reply, you're making a difference. Right? You're making it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that it was, yeah, yeah. He, and he had a way of making people feel, and he just had a presence. It, it, it you know, it's um, not everybody has that. Not everybody, you know, I call it the it. And Dave had it and he had the, you know, he's a good looking guy. He was always well-dressed. He was, he, he had the prep and all that stuff is great, but it was deeper than that. It just, that just complimented the it factor that he had. And then he was extremely intelligent and he cared deeply about people and their success. And it, when you, you put that whole package together, it was Dave Zacco. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's the same thing as Jim said. I mean, the good ones are, they've got the traits. It's, it's a lack of pretense, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, business discipline, um, and, and integrity. Those are things that, uh, this conversation has been great, Tim. I'm going to steal some of this and pass this on to, to my son here as he enters into the workforce. That's beautiful. I, you know, that's, uh, my favorite part about doing this podcast is a, I feel like I work with Dave still. I feel like we're collaborating. I found myself driving down the I five the other day, talking to Dave, like he was in the passenger seat of my car. I was <laughs> headed to a meeting and I was asking him, you know, what he thought of my, uh, lineup of guests and why I was targeting certain people to be on the show. And of course he wasn't responding, but I, I still feel like I, it, it, that portion of it. Um, and it's, it's kind of cathartic. Um, the other really important thing is to keep the conversation, um, going and to keep people first and Dave's approach to you're making a difference. And what really warms my heart is, you know, when I get notes or emails or, you know, a message on social media or a message through LinkedIn that just says, wow, I just listened to this one. And it really, really, I'm going to use this. Um, and, and people I would not expect to do that who are, who are listening. So, you know, you just never know who, who you're touching or, or if it matters, but um, you know, I, I think for me, I'm just going to keep doing it because a, I enjoy it and B it, it honors, you know, it honors my friend. So, well, I, I personally love what you're doing. Um, you're putting good stuff out there. Um, in, in, well, you know, that's the other thing too, not to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but that, I don't want to forget this thought. That's the other thing. There's so much junk out there Yeah, and there's so much negativity. And the one thing about this podcast is, and I, I try is, uh, you know, and I, I think you know me well enough. I have a very cynical side. Um, and critical. Um, and I really try to repress that and, and try to make this, uh, this podcast positive and about good things and putting good energy out into the world. Um, and you're, you're doing that. Um, and, and, and useful information as well too, for, uh, you know, helpful. Uh, I learned a lot listening to it. I, I love, um, uh, the content and, um, and this has been a blast, by the way. <laughs> well, hey, I got to ask you a question, though, because you brought it up. So I want to ask you because this and I know you you don't want to talk about this, but and because you're just humble. But over the last 20 years, if I thought of the word integrity, I always thought of you. You just and I don't think you do it purposely. I don't. But I oh, and then even your intro, you know. Uh, married for 30 years, raised two kids, just the, the way that you handled yourself through all of those situations, through acquisitions, through when we worked, uh, you know, uh, you, I always think of Rick Mullinex when I think of integrity, um, you know, other than that one little violation you had. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, uh, for the listeners, I told Tim that one time I, I rented Independence Day on new release Tuesday before customers were able to rent it. So. And it you know, that was a terminable offense, but um, we stepped in. <laughs> yeah, 
I think you got a written warning. <laughs> and it was the good heart of Dale Nafsker that saved me. <laughs> That's the truth. No, but seriously, on that, and and that's truly a compliment, and I truly, truly do. I appreciate it. Like, you know, you and I, we've talked, we've we've talked over the years, but we haven't stayed in great touch. But I still really, in the time that I worked with you, when we acquired HEB and you came onto the team, uh, the work that you did in product, the work that you did in marketing, you always had kind of an operational eye as well. You certainly knew what a good video store, uh, a well-run video retail store look like. Um, so let me just, is that a conscious frame of mind or is that just who you are? Yeah, no, you know, uh, it's interesting. I don't know how to quite, you know, answer that. I think that my style is, um, uh, is, is, is steady and focused and, but this is this the answer to this question is going to sound like it came from the documentary section of a video store uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little off but um you know and and this is back to kind of the Mitchell thing when it comes to work uh cuz you don't want to see me you know uh it, it, you know on Saturday Friday and Saturday nights in my personal life <laughs> <laughs> That's a different rate. No. Um, but when it comes to work, you know, I, I've had a philosophy, Tim, which is, and I, and I tell this to Mitchell, look, we're compensated because we get to share in the value of what the business is creating. Yep. And so what I've always tried to do in, in business is, is know the numbers, try to understand the boring things like P and L's and income statements and balance sheets, because it creates the greatest alignment to what you should be doing and what you should focus on. And, you know, I, t I tell, tell Mitch, I can't think of a better conversation starter for you to have with somebody in upper management at a reception than to talk about the business. But um, I, I, I think it's really a lesson for managers and leaders. And it's the way I've tried to operate. I've tried to align team goals, objectives, work streams, whatever to meet, the financials because it's, it's the best calibration or, or way to get to complete alignment. So that's been my style at, at work, you know, where you've seen me at work. I'm, I'm just, I'm focused on that. And then when it comes to the personal side, I'm, I'm focused on, you know, meeting the needs of, of my family. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that kind of answers the question, but it's how I, I respond. Well, I, and I appreciate that. I, I, I just, you know, our, our, our buddy Dave used to say integrity is what you do when nobody's looking. It's, it's easy to be, uh, it's easy to do, to do the right thing when the camera's on. Yeah. It's hard to do the right so thing. True. You know, it's, it's, it, that's integrity. It, 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 that's integrity. So, well, I, I think that, and I think your son is very lucky to, have you as a mentor uh, and someone who's helping him as he enters into um, this stage of his career and of his life. Um, so he's a lucky kid. Uh yeah. Um, yeah. Guy I follow, admire and follow is Scott Galloway, professor of marketing at Stern NYU. <clears throat> he's got some great, uh, great uh, content out there. Um, and he, he intermingles technology and business with, life. And, um, yeah, he said something, and this is another thing is, you know, back to the Mitchell thing, but don't be afraid to make mistakes. 
put yourself out there, take risks. That's one of the things that I, that I talked to him about. But he says something, uh, Gray, I th- he's, happiness is a function of your willingness to take uncomfortable risk and have something wonderful happen. <laughs> I love that. And, yeah. and, and so many people don't. It's sad to me. It, it really, really, you know, my big brother, I used to, um, he spent oh, 33 years at Fred Myers. And he always was like, well, I, I just don't know how you do it. And I'd say to him, he'd, he'd go, uh, I'd say, Bobby, how's Freddy's? He'd say, well, I got 12 weeks of vacation. And I go, that's <laughs> how you measure your, your happiness with your work is based on how much vacation you Because see, I can't have a job, well, I've never had a job, where it's what I do in between weekends. I like to be running to my work. That's why I left Hollywood, is I would sit out in the car. I didn't want to go in in the morning. It got to that point where it, mm-hmm. where it became mm-hmm. a job. For, for 14 years, it was never a job. I didn't know what it was like to have a job. We were just building stores. We were hiring people. We were developing. We had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Um, it was never a job. Never felt like a job. And I remember he asked me one time, he goes, well, how much vacation do you have? And at the time, I had unlimited vacation. But I didn't necessarily want to take it. <laughs> Right. Because right. I was enjoying what I was doing. My work yeah. was my hobby. Well, Because it wasn't you know, work. <laughs> I think your style too, Tim, I mean, you're, you're kind of embodiment of that uh, put yourself out there, take risk. I mean, yeah. you're, you're a guy that, that's not afraid to speak up. You're not afraid to say the wrong thing in a meeting. You know, forget a name. But you know what? That's because you're human. Yeah. We're human. And so, yeah. Take those risks, put yourself out there, be, be human, particularly in the early, early part of your career. But, uh, yeah, it's not, the stakes aren't that high. If you say the wrong thing in a meeting, I think the stakes are higher if you don't say anything. Well, yes. And, 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 you know, we, we drill it into people's head. There are no dumb questions. So maybe I'm wrong, but I just want to ask this and maybe it spurs another conversation. I, I, you know, at the end of the day, yes, I am a human being and I, I, I have flaws. Um, I have some good qualities. I have some bad qualities. And, you know, I think that's all of us. I think that is absolutely all of us. So point it out there. And, you know, and I think that shows because my, my career has been so eclectic, you know, everything from, and I've said this not to be vice president of memories, but, you know, everything from video store clerks to social workers to, you know, pot farmers to uh, to rock stars and and developers and um, and every you know and and the one thing about doesn't really matter they all want the same thing they all want to be valued and appreciated and they want to be able to do a good job um, they that's it really does it doesn't matter if they have a PhD or if they have a high school education they want to feel valued, people want to feel valued and appreciated. And that is the responsibility of leadership, um, to, is the care and feeding of your team, because I've said it, well, you brought it up, you know, people work for people, they do not work for companies. The companies provide a certain structure around it, but you know, you'll take a, take a, 
you'll take a great boss over a bad boss and less money all day long. Yep. Yep. Well, agreed. Rick, we are getting to our time, but, uh, and I know you shared the, the, the story with Dave, but is there anything personal? I know that you guys were very close. I know that he admired you greatly. Uh, I know he trusted you and, um, he valued your intellect and your, uh, your business mind as well as your friendship. Um, and because we talked about it a lot and, uh, we talked about you a lot and I, you know, I know that he felt that way. Uh, anything personal on the, what would Dave do? Yeah, no, I, I think, um, look, uh, Going back to those those traits we talked about uh, in this conversation, lack, lack of pretense, discipline, and integrity, and and you know, into uh, your question of leader that I might admired, if 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 you allow me some room on the today part, uh, on Mount Rushmore is is a guy named Dave Zacco. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I got to share, you know, uh, the same time on Earth and 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 see leadership up close and personal. And, um, and for that, I'm, you know, forever, forever grateful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people share that, that sentiment and, uh, and I appreciate you sharing it and, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to be on the show and, uh, and to share your wisdom and, uh, and share your memories. And it just was fun catching up with you, to be honest. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I remember, you know, you get, you prepare for these a little bit. And I remember some of those meetings and uh, in the Hollywood days and, and uh, Robert Nahara and uh, it just, you know, we were so blessed that we got to work with some really amazing people. Yeah. And we you had know, a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. It was great. You know, it's funny. I, I got to share this real quick. Sure. Uh, so somewhere I ran across a SEC document filing. Uh, it's on the internet. It's Hollywood video circa 1997. <laughs> it said that Hollywood video had 500, 556 stores. And anyway, I think that may be, it was a, it was a statement at the end of the, at 96 doesn't matter, but it listed the executives <laughs> and their ages. Oh my God. And you want to guess Max Fratto? <laughs> you don't have to guess, but was he 54? 53. 53. And you think about that. Uh, look how far we've come. Yeah. And uh, and and we still talk about those guys, Dale and Max. And well, I know, remember Ed, when Ed, Ed, I think Ed was forty four. He Ed. was forty four at the time. We thought he was an old guy. I thought Ed was so old. <laughs> so, um, forty. You know, they they imparted their wisdom. I remember because we were young pups. Uh, they imparted their wisdom on us, and. Um, and, and now it's time to pay it back. Absolutely. Yeah, that's funny. Max Fratto, 53 years old back then. Yeah. He'd just come yep. out of the wallpapers to go. He don't, he's involved in that company and so either franchisee or he owned one. And yeah, uh, Max was, you want to talk about, I mean, I put Max up there with Jack Welch uh, in his knowledge and understanding of very complex, you know, operational and just he, Max understood people. Very human and 
and he was a good person. Absolutely. Well you just knew it. You just knew it. And a lot of those acquisitions would not have gone as smooth if it wasn't for Max Rado. I, I just, I, I absolutely loved working with him. Um, but yeah, we had an opportunity to work with some really cool people. I think we had uh, a lot of fun and, um, you know, I'm very, very blessed that we were given that opportunity and, uh, and got to be part of something that was very special. Uh, and, 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 you know, what's really fun is when you talk to not young people, because young people don't even know what video stores were. Um, <laughs> That's <what> I, right. <laughs> right. It's hard for them to believe that Hollywood video was a Wall Street darling at the time because it had nothing to do with technology. Yes. Maybe that we had sensormatic and and, uh, dishes on the top to upload sales, but that was about all the technology. I remember Dave telling me a story. He was uh, after he had left Hollywood and he was working with some hotshot at one of these private equity firms that he was dealing with. And uh, the kid was probably in his 20s. And, um, he asked Dave what he'd been, what he'd most recently been doing. And Dave said, well, I was senior vice president, Hollywood entertainment. And the kid looks at him and goes, Oh, that's a tough business. He goes, uh, our, our, our dinosaur dinosaur. <laughs> and Dave was just like, you know, damn, I felt so. And I always just reminded people, look at one point in history, American typewriter had a senior vice president. <laughs> right. And it, that was our moment. And uh, we got to build something. You know, think about it, Rick. We got to build a national brand. Yep. We did. We did. And, and when you look at companies, there's not a lot of companies that have 3,000 stores. No. Uh, and as fast as that was going. Uh, like every 36 and, hours. Yep. Somewhere in America, a store open. Whether and it had carpet, whether it had carpet or not. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and whether the uh, the uh, satellite mount leaked, uh, anytime you saw a, a you know a, a spot on the ceiling at a Hollywood video, the the satellite was mounted right above it. Well, I remember we used to open stores and they didn't have the glass in yet, but we had you know we we had to hit our number every quarter on how many stores we told Wall Street we'd open, and yeah. as long as we rang up a Snickers bar, it was open. And, and, and that was that business, but that was, you know, that was it. And that, those were great days and it took special people to make that happen. And I, I'm just so thankful that all these years later that you and I can get on and, and, you know, stay on the phone for an hour and, uh, and have a great conversation. So I, I really, this really is- value you and, and appreciate uh, everything that you've done in my life. So. Uh, Thank you, Tim. And an absolute blast being on your show. And um, I will, I can't wait for the next episode. All right, my friend. Well, listen, I appreciate you very much. Thank you for being on the show, and uh, we'll talk soon. Take care. Take care.